Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I am Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of Guitar Effects, where you can check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook to join in the discussion. I am joined by no one except for my two dogs, uh, even though I closed the door, so you may end up hearing them uh, barking at nothing because, you know, they have to scare away the squirrels or something like that. Uh, Bradley and John are both out of town, so you get to hear yours truly bloviate even more than usual. So what I figured we'd do is we had some listener questions. Uh, first half, we'll do some more theologically-minded stuff. Second half is going to be uh, more pedal building and... Uh, and some more practical type stuff. Uh, so we'll just jump right in. Brian Morris asks a great question that I was kind of uh, uh, batting around uh, three, four weeks ago. He asks, so John Piper states that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Is it actually appropriate to seek to quantify how God is most glorified? Example, is God equally glorified in his judging of sinners and his saving of sinners? Or is he more glorified in one over the other? Or is this an inappropriate way to look at God's glory? Is it more appropriate to think of God being glorified in different ways in those aspects? Parentheses, sorry if that's messy. Came up in Sunday school today, which would be yesterday as I'm recording, and I'm working it out. So this is a great question. Uh, we understand that God is sovereign. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. So says Paul in Ephesians. Uh, you also look at Isaiah, I declare the end from the beginning. So the way that I kind of take Piper, uh, who, who also agrees with the, the things I just said, God is maximizing his glory. Uh, we also understand Piper is a five or he would say seven point Calvinist. Uh, so, you know, we're dealing with things like election here. Um, so when God is most glorified in us, I would take that to mean the Christian, the regenerate, the elect, however you want to say that. Uh, yes, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Catechism says. Uh, but at the same time, God is ultimately out for his self-glorification. Uh, maybe I'll butcher the explanation here a little bit, um, but at the same time, I, I think Revelation 15 is, is helpful here, even though it's not very popular to read it this way. And by popular, I mean well-liked in the modern church world, uh, where we basically want to think that God is just pining after everyone. Uh, he just wishes everyone would be saved, and you know we're we're the ones keeping him at arm's length, not allowing him to save us, even though he desperately wants us to. Uh, so starting in verse 1, uh, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations." 
Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So you've got the wrath of God being poured out and the song of Moses, so the prophets, uh, law and the prophets rather, uh, and the song of the Lamb, so the new covenant, and God is being praised for executing judgment uh, on the beast. So regardless of you know whether you're dispensational pre-mill or ah-mill or post-mill or, or uh, pan-mill saying it all pans out in the end and I don't really care, uh, which... You know, that's kind of a cop-out. Um, but God is being praised here for pouring out wrath and basically sending the beast to hell. Uh, so we have to reckon with that. Um, I think the uh, the 1689 uh, London Baptist Confession is also really helpful in this situation. Uh, there's a great modern English rendition on founders.org. I'll link to it in the show notes. I've linked to it before. Uh, but chapter three on God's decree, uh, it, it, you know, you have to start uh, from God's decree and then work out from there. So paragraph one, from all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs without reference to anything outside himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with any in their sin. This decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes. On the contrary, these are established by God's decree. In this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in directing all things and his power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing his decree. Uh, paragraph two, God knows everything that could happen under any given conditions. However, his decree of anything is not based on foreseeing it in the future or foreseeing that it would occur under such conditions. Now, paragraph three is where the rubber really meets the road. By God's decree and for the demonstration of his glory, some human beings and angels are predestined or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Others are left to, left to live in their sin, leading to their just condemnation to the praise of his glorious justice. Now, in, in the doctrine of election, we have to understand that it's, it's not within, even within double predestination, the, the proper way to think about this is not God going down the line, choosing people who are neutral by nature. It's not, I'm going to save him and I'm going to damn that guy. It's everybody starts in Adam. Everybody starts from a position of being condemned and God chooses to save some while he leaves some alone. Uh, so it's that's different than you know saying you know you're neutral and then A or B. It's everybody is A and God chooses to make some B. Now one of the references in the 1689 there is Jude, uh, not chapter four, verse four. There's only one chapter in Jude. Uh, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So you have there, you know, some people have been designated. Uh, so get into double predestination. A lot of people don't like that verse. You know, that's okay to admit. Um, but going back to the 1689, the, the last paragraph regarding God's decree is, is really helpful in this. It'll, it, it can thwart cage stagism. 
um, which you know I could have used a few years ago. And some people argue right now, uh, but maybe they're wrong. Uh, so, <laughs> paragraph 7 in chapter 3 of the 1689, the doctrine of the high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care so that those heeding the will of God revealed in his word and obeying him may be assured of their eternal election by the certainty of their effectual calling. In this way, the doctrine will give reasons for praise, reverence, and admiration of God, as well as humility, diligence, and rich comfort to all who sincerely obey the gospel. I think we can just leave it. Um, so I'll apologize if I uh, mispronounce this next name. Nick Boychuk. Looks Eastern European, so that's my my best guess. Nick, let me know how I did in the post <laughs> uh, later this week when this drops. He says, I'd be curious to hear if you got any backlash after releasing the Osteen distortion. I recently shared a meme mocking the prosperity gospel and was surprised with the amount of people who came at me in defense of Osteen and other teachers of the like. Also curious if you'll do a Bill Johnson boost or a Stephen Furtick fuzz. Uh, so to answer the, the, the last part of that, no, I'm not doing a Bill Johnson or Bethel boost or a Furtick fuzz. Uh, the Osteen distortion is, is as far as I'm going with my shots at the, it's, it's my all encompassing shot at the word of faith, prosperity, NAR, hyper charismatic movement, um, We've said before, we obviously recognize our, our charismatic and Pentecostal friends as siblings in the faith. Uh, but there is a point, just like uh, within, within Calvinism, you know, you have hyper-Calvinism, which then ceases to become true Calvinism uh, and actually ends up in heresy. Uh, hyper-charismaticism, if, if that's the right way to say that. You know, the NAR, the word of faith. The word of faith is, is not Christianity. Um, and, and I will, you know, I'll say that all day. Like, I'm not going to move from that. There are people who may be influ influenced by word of faith theology who are still orthodox, but word of faith theology in and of itself uh, really has more in common with 19th century spiritualism, Christian scientism, all that kind of nonsense. Um, yeah, I have, I have gotten some backlash on the Osteen distortion. Um, I've had guys who wanted to do uh, demos of, of my pedals. And I said, well, and this was right when the Osteen distortion came out. And I was like, yeah, I just came out with this thing. And, you know, they said, oh, well, I want to keep things positive. I don't want to, I don't want to throw around any judgment. Um, I've had, uh, was it a year and a half ago, maybe two years? I don't know, uh, where, where the hurricane hit Houston and, and Osteen's church, at least at first said, no, we're not going to let anybody in. So, uh, I know a couple people in Houston and said, and that I knew that they were doing stuff for their community uh, within that, you know, for the sake of the gospel. So I pledged to give $100 out of every Osteen distortion sale for two weeks or so um, to give $100 from every Osteen distortion sale for the next couple weeks uh, to that church. And I actually caught some crap for that. Uh, you know, some people saying, you know, you're just being greedy. It's like, well, I'm, I'm giving away money. Some people are saying that I was being greedy in that, um, in that I wasn't giving all of it away. 
but at the same time, it's like, I don't have to give any of it away. I could have just used it as a promotional tool. And, you know, technically I would have been just fine to do that. Um, I've, I've also had uh, a lot of support over the Osteen distortion. Most people just think it's hilarious. Uh, some people just think it's hilarious that I'm taking a shot at what they consider someone to just be kind of fluffy. Uh, but really, this is me taking a shot at, I'll say it, a heretic. Um, I don't say that with any glee, uh, but uh, Joel Osteen and his ilk deserve to be mocked and shown to be fools um, not, not out of any sense of superiority, but, you know, I would love to see him repent. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of people don't really say that. A lot of people may not even believe me when I say that, but I think it would be pretty legit if Osteen actually went orthodox, started calling people to faith and repentance instead of speaking things into existence and looking at themselves like they're awesome because we're not. We're not awesome, and that's that's the first part of the gospel. You don't get the good news without the bad news. Um, I've also had some people just totally miss the joke uh, that it's called the Osteen distortion for a reason. <laughs> I won't get into who, but I talked to a guy. Uh, man, I'm, it, this is going to be a struggle to make this as vague as possible to not identify anybody. I'm talking to a guy one time. And, you know, the Osteen distortion came up. He thought it was, it was, it was great. Uh, apparently the joke was missed. And he told um, his associate, we'll call him, oh, yeah, this guy has a pedal called the Osteen distortion. He goes, no way. We have a guy from Joel Osteen's church who helps with this thing on our website. He goes, do they know about it? And I said, I, I kind of hope not. <laughs> Uh, but if they do, um, they really have, uh, they don't have nearly the grounds that Chick-fil-A did with the Chick delay. Uh, it's, it's explicit that, uh, that I'm making fun of Joel Osteen and the prosperity gospel. So, uh, I suppose I'll take a break here, uh, have some ads running. You get to listen to me even more and we'll get into some more listener questions. Does God run out of patience? How do we bridge the gap between understanding and application of Scripture? How do I deal with my kids who have left the faith? Does God forget our sin? Join the discussion on all these topics and more on the All 7 Days podcast, where Stan, who also happens to be my dad, and Trevor take your questions and answer them from the perspective of a couple of church members just having a discussion about spiritual matters. Subscribe to the All 7 Days podcast today on Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, or your other favorite podcast listening platform and check out all7days.com. So, uh, moving on, Kyle Jackson asks uh, if I could partner with any pedal builder, who would I want to work with to build something? Um, I've actually tried to get this uh, together before. Um, I won't mention who it was because he's a good guy. It just didn't work out. Um, the details in this kind of stuff are messy <laughs> at best, unless you can you know, really agree on, you know, where are certain things being manufactured, parts, all that kind of stuff. 
um, especially for me being a one-man shop and then effectively contracting out help, for instance, Kyle Daly with my circuit board design, um, and uh, you know, until I can actually hire people, uh, probably not going to happen. Um, but you know, if I had to pick somebody, you know, Rick Matthews is legit. He's he he would probably roll his eyes at that. He's awesome. Uh, he's a, he's a good dude, and his effects are just out of this world with all of his, uh, especially his reverb stuff. I love the Matthews effects reverb stuff. Um, is that, you know, it, it, that's kind of one of those questions where I don't have a great answer. Uh, Lee Harrison asks, how big are you on parts tolerance or just tolerance in general? Um, so in terms of parts tolerance, this is where I can rant a little bit. Uh, most of what you hear in regards to, oh, we have these capacitors or uh, these special Nutric jacks. Most of that, uh, especially surrounding the uh, the JRC4558 op amp uh, found in tube screamers and stuff like that, uh, most of that's just voodoo. Most of that really doesn't make a whole lot of difference, you know, whether it's a film or a box or ceramic, etc. cetera. Uh, I know Justin Tenkate might punch me through the podcast feed for saying that because he's kind of an audiophile, but uh, in, in my experience, uh, the average ear, and Justin has very much above average ears. Hey, there's, there's maybe a thought, is maybe I would build something with Justin, and, uh, and we can use my, uh, my crappy parts, if you will, and we can use Justin's super expensive parts. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in terms of parts tolerance, it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, all things considered, I do use 1% tolerance, uh, metal film resistors. Um, does it make that big of a difference? I don't know. Open up a vintage fuzz face and let me know because that stuff had way wider tolerances than anything I'm using. And, you know, people swear by that thing, uh, tolerance in general, um, obviously I am for, you know, not stringing up people that I, that I disagree with. Uh, but most of the liberal leaning quote unquote tolerance is just as intolerant as it claims to be tolerant. It's, it turns into pure nonsense. Um, that's as much as I'll go into that. Uh, they'll, they'll tolerate you up until the point that you disagree with them. They want diversity as long as you agree with them. And that's simply hypocritical and needs to be called such. Uh, Jared Hartley has three questions that were pretty good. Uh, asking if I have anything special that I do on Sunday warming Sunday morning to warm up musically or to stay warm between AM rehearsal and the actual service. Um, not really. Um, so my, I, I've gone over my Sunday morning routine here uh, in past episodes, but... Typically, what I do is, you know, wake up on time, drink coffee, uh, typically read, you know, since I have access to Planning Center, I will read the text that Bradley or Keith will be preaching on that day, so I can go ahead and, you know, maybe even guess where they're going to go with it. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm way off, and they have a different point uh, that, that I just missed entirely. And, you know, every now and then I might even disagree with them, uh, which is extremely rare. And, yeah, that's it happens so rarely that I probably shouldn't have even mentioned it. Um, but, you know, shower, get ready, load up, whatever. Um, in the car, I don't really do anything special. The church is 
five, six minutes away from me. Um, and then when I get there, it's just throw my stuff on the stage and, and go at it. Uh, but really I don't do anything all that special. I really just kind of jump in. I'm not doing any vocals at the moment, so I don't have to warm up my voice. Um, I don't really do any kind of scale warm ups or anything like that. And then staying warm between rehearsal and service, I really, you know, as long as as long as there's not a part that I'm struggling with, I might go over a part a time or two between the rehearsal and the service. But other than that, I mean, uh, I, I retain information pretty well, and that's not really that's not really an issue for me. Um, but Jared or anyone else, you know, if you want to comment on the post in the lounge, tell us what your routines are. That might be uh, that might be pretty cool to hear. You know, we can always you know bounce stuff off of each other. Uh, Jared also asks, why do you prefer reverb to delay for your ambient tone? And uh, really, I just kind of do uh, that. I think that was the last episode that that I mentioned that in. Um, I think what I prefer to do with my delays is have you know the the level of the repeats be a little bit louder and that's just how I tend to mix or tend to set my delay um, which would then mean just stacking reverb avoids having you know conflicting delay repeat patterns uh, that's just my thought um, there's no real right or wrong way to do it that's just how I've done it and it I, I, personally I think it gives me a little less to worry about and of course I I could be wrong uh, Jared also asks, are there any plans to build modulation pedals, course, flanger, phaser, etc.? Why or why not? Um, at the moment, I do have the Luther Tap Tremolo. Um, I have had a chorus named after George Whitfield in the past, uh, but that thing was a pain to build, and it wasn't original enough to really stand out in the market, uh, so I took it down, at least for the moment. Eventually, I do want to get back into chorus flanger phaser etc uh but at the moment the chick delay is so popular um focusing a lot on on the chick delay the geneva amp sim is my second most popular pedal and that's done pretty well for me um and then other than that man like the, it's 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 kind of a smattering the compressor is right up the calvin compressor is right up there uh and then you know drive pedals have done really well for me there's there's always room for another drive pedal uh, where, you know, personally, I don't use a, a ton of modulation. Um, as far as I'm aware, there's not a ton of modulation in the worship world in general. So if, if, there's a, if there's a demand for something and enough people demand that I do a chorus or a vibe or phase flange, whatever, then of course I'll do it. Uh, if I see a market need, of course I'll do it. And if and if people start requesting that, then we'll start looking into it and I'll start bugging Kyle and then he'll hate me for a couple weeks, as he always does when I come to him with a with a more complicated uh, request. So uh, I guess that'll do it. A little bit shorter episode this week, and that's okay. You don't need to listen to us for an hour or an hour and 15 every time. So make sure you follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and leave us a five-star review. That really does help us grow. Another way to help us grow is to support the show at anchor.fm. You can donate money and help us to improve. And the first five people who pledge to donate $10 a month for a year get a Piper Drive V2. We have one more uh, spot on that left. Also make sure you, uh, 
buy your pedals at westminstereffects.com. And as a reminder to everybody, I also own Nose Pedal, which does utility stuff. And I've got some new stuff coming out here in the next few weeks. It'll probably be post-NAM when I announce that. Uh, but I have new stuff coming out with Nose, too. Um, so the outro, uh, we'll do something from, from the Westminster side of things. Hey there, everybody. John Ross here, Westminster effects artist and multi-instrumentalist for the 211 Worship Band here at Christ Lincoln. And I'm excited to share with you the Geneva Amp Sim, brand new this summer from Westminster effects. This little gem is a great choice for anyone who wants the tone and feel of a classic Vox AC30, but in a compact, all analog, stomp box style format. Now, not only does the Geneva provide that classic jangle from the top boost channel of the AC30, it also includes a switchable cab sim and a ground liftable DI with an XLR out right alongside the standard quarter inch instrument level out. Now for you non-gearheads out there who don't have a clue about anything I just said, but still want to sound your best, the skinny is this. Great British tone direct into a mixer, powered loudspeaker or audio interface without the weight and maintenance upkeep of a classic tube amp. Now, before we get into the tones, let's do a quick run through of my rig so we know what we're working with. Starting off, we have my modified Squire Affinity Jazzmaster with two GFS Dream 180 humbucking pickups. From there, we go direct into the front end of my drive pedal board. Then it'll go out to a passive volume pedal and then into my modulation delay and reverb board, which includes the Geneva Amp Sim. And then from there, we're going directly out into my Steinberg UR22 audio interface. For the purposes of this demo, I'll be using the Jazzmaster, the Zwingli STD3K preamp, both sides of my E89 dual overdrive, my Boss DD500 delay, and the spring side of the Calcedon dual reverb. All right, let's get started with my tone directly into the interface, running through the pedal board, but with all effects, including the Geneva switched off. Now let's turn the Geneva on. At this point, you'll only be hearing the amp sim as all the other effects on the board are still bypassed, with the exception of a buffer here and there. Pay close attention to the different controls that you have. In addition to the expected options, there's a knob labeled Top Boost, which allows you to blend in the character and feel of the Vox Top Boost channel to provide that vintage jangle to your liking.
Also, pay attention to the gain knob. Notice I have it set pretty low. There's lots of gain on board and ready for you to go crazy. But I run it pretty low so I can get my drive for my other pedals, but still have a great bass clean tone to start from. However, as we'll take a look at in a moment, if we go ahead and boost the volume into that front end, we'll get some great amp-like breakup. Now we'll add some reverb and the Zwingli STD preamp. For those last sound clips, you were hearing the amp sim with the cab sim also turned on. Let's go ahead and turn that off for a second and see how it sounds. This setting is really helpful when using the Geneva as a preamp, fed into a power amp and then a traditional guitar cabinet, or when using the Geneva to flavor the sound of your favorite tube amp. But for the purposes of this demo, let's go ahead and turn it back on so we can see what the Geneva really has to offer. All right, with that back on, let's go ahead and see how it takes drive pedals. I'm gonna turn the preamp back off and switch on the Edwards side of my E89. This side is very similar in nature to a blues breaker style overdrive. Now we'll add the Zwingli back in and use it as a front end boost to drive the Edwards further into saturation and drive. flavored 1689 side of the 89 and add in some delay and some additional reverb and see how this thing really works in a lead style context. Likewise, we can turn off all of the drive pedals and simply use my six-band MXR EQ to boost the front of the Geneva into a great amp-style distortion. as you can hear, this thing really does live up to the hype. I am so proud and excited not only to have it as part of my arsenal, but to have it permanently on my pedal board. And after hearing it and using it live this morning, I think all 80 pounds of this here Vox AC30 will be going back up to storage. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out today. I've been John Ross and you have been awesome. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe as well as to check out the Geneva and the rest of the Westminster lineup over at westminstereffects.com. We'll see you soon.